welcome to episode Zach Smith of the Copper Pointcast. As always, I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. On this playoff preview edition, I have with me TSN writer Travis Yost. Travis, how's it going? So do you do you number do you name your podcast after the number? Is that what it is? This 15? I, I, I'm not gonna lie, I have ripped it off from a few people. I know uh, Chet Sellers and Luke Pristy do that as as well as a Red Sox podcast as well, Section Ten. Um, but yeah, pretty much. Are you a Sox fan? Of course, I know you're a Yankees fan. Oh, this is tough to come on. Actually, <laughs> you know what though? It's it's so funny. I, with baseball, I kind of ebb and flow with with how good the team is. So now that the Yankees are so average for like three years. I'll watch like 40 games over the course of the season, and then when they're good, then I'll check right back in. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's it shows in the attendance, right? Yeah, I, I think that's true for all baseball fans. It's such a commitment to watch like oh, yeah. 130. Unless, you're, unless you are an absolute baseball lifer, it, it's like, first off, it's if you're an NFL fan, and then if you're a hockey and NBA fan like I am, like you're not going to watch baseball in April and May, and you're really not going to watch it in you'll watch it a little bit i guess in, in september but you're definitely gonna watch the playoffs but like there's three months of the year where you're like yeah i'll check out yeah like i i just don't understand like if you're a cincinnati reds fan like how you could follow the team the whole season but you know i think we're, we're pretty lucky with our with both of our teams yeah we have been yeah anyway so uh today i, I wanted to talk about the matchup between uh, sorry between the Sens and the bruins um but first i think we got to talk about the leafs um they were up two nothing on sunday against columbus and I remember at that point I, I emailed you um, about about coming on the podcast because I honestly thought they'd be playing the Leafs, and I, and I mentioned that the podcast or on the email that they that they'd probably play Toronto. Um, if that had actually happened, if they had held on to that lead, do you think that would have been a better matchup for Ottawa? It would have been a better matchup for both teams. It's, yeah. it's just kind of funny how Toronto, by losing to Columbus, wound up screwing both the Leafs and Ottawa. Now, granted. I think Ottawa, like I, I think the trade-off from Toronto to Boston is r- fairly small. I think Boston is a really, really underrated team, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But like, I think they're really good. They're definitely better than the Leafs. But I mean, the Leafs, if you look at it, you go from Ottawa, who's okay, Ottawa's <laughs> fine. They're a good first-round playoff team, to the best team in the NHL. And yeah. like, I, I will, I will freely admit, like, if the Leafs, and I think the Leafs are good. If if the Leafs won. In that series against the Capitals, I would be absolutely stunned because that's how good I think that Capitals team is. This is not the 52% even strength, 5-on-5 Washington Capitals team of 2007 that scored like 40 power play goals a minute under Bruce Boudreau. Like that team was very weirdly balanced, and then when the power play always went dry in the playoffs, they were like, well, we're we're just another team then at, at that point. This is a totally different team. Like, they're like plus 60 in goals at five on five this year. It's, it's outrageous. Every 60 minutes, I looked at this, they outscore their opponent every 60 minutes at five on five by more than a goal, which is outrageous. I, that margin is such, it's the biggest reason why they ran away with the Eastern Conference. But yeah, like the, the whole the whole breakout, like Ottawa now plays a better team. Toronto plays a significantly better team. Um, I don't know who won in that trade-off. I guess Boston did. Boston got yeah. avoided Washington. I, I, the funny thing I think with Washington is that they sort of have that like San Jose Sharks disease where it's like no one's really gonna think they can actually go all the way until they actually do it just because I feel like for years I've been saying I, I mean I predicted them to win the cup this year but I think I did last year as well um, but yeah you're right like the trade-off between Ottawa and Washington is so huge um, I think for a lot of Senators fans and myself included playing the Leafs 
like the difference between between playing the Leafs and playing the Bruins is just the fact that I get to keep my sanity because if they had lost to the Leafs, I mean, I I, I wouldn't have been able to go on Twitter for months. <laughs> well, that, that's the other thing. If if they had beaten the Leafs, that that would have yeah. felt like four playoff victories. That's such a huge risk, though. <laughs> it's it's it's. I, I I do think though that for the spirit of hockey, it would have been good. Like I, I was hoping for both a battle of Ontario and battle of Alberta, because I think that would have been really fun. Like yeah. Toronto plays a really fun brand of hockey. There's a lot of really good talented players there. Same thing with Ottawa. Like Ottawa is a, a flawed team, but like their, their superstars are really superstars uh, from Carlson Stonehoff. And like, these are the top echelon guys. And then Edmonton and Calgary, it's a lot of the same, right? Like they play really up tempo, a lot of, agi- a lot of agility, a lot of speed, not a lot of this power, Blunt two one L A Kings Daryl Sutter era teams uh, stuff going on there. Um, I, I was hoping for both and we got neither, but that's okay. Maybe maybe in the next round. Yeah, well, uh, we'll see. I mean, I think at the last minute we sort of lost out on a few really good matchups, but I mean, it, it should be pretty good nonetheless. Um, so let's go into the series though that actually will be happening between Ottawa and Boston. Um, give me a scenario in which Ottawa wins the series, and then a scenario in which Boston wins. Scenario in which Ottawa wins this series is a there's a few things that I think go in Ottawa's favor. One, that Ottawa's goaltending advantage, which I think is significant, remains significant. So basically the, the big bet that Ottawa needs to pan out here is that Tukarask remains Tukarask of twenty sixteen and not Tukarask of two thousand eight through two thousand fifteen. Um and this is this is the biggest key because one of the big reasons why I think Boston is so underrated this year is I think you can make a very credible argument that they were the best five on five team in hockey this year. Like, yes, the goals didn't start materializing until the second half of the year, but when you're getting 54% of the shots and scoring chances every single night, regardless of your head coach, you're probably pretty damn good. Add that to the fact that you, I would say comfortably have the best line in hockey in the Patrice Bergeron line and Ottawa, regardless of if they win the series or not, they are going to be punching upwards at even strength. So here's where they have to make their money. They have to not get killed at 5-on-5, number one. Number two, they have to try and get Eric Carlson out in as many minutes as they can without Patrice Bergeron out there. Because I think if there's one forward who can slow Carlson down, it's probably Bergeron. Um, the, the other two pieces, they have to, they have, they have to make the most of this goaltending advantage. A lot of, a lot of activity on two grass and, uh, and try and get some bounces that way. And then the last piece is if you're not a great, even strength team, there are opportunities to score goals on the power play. There are opportunities to not give up goals on the penalty kill and Boston's special teams are not nearly as remarkable as Ottawa's. So if you're, yes, the majority of the ice you're going to see is going to be evens, but there are going to be plenty of opportunities for Ottawa to score goals or avoid goals against in other game states. And I think they have to make the most of those there as well. And Ottawa actually has, there have been flashes of a very good power play and flashes of a very good penalty kill over the course of the year. Um, But like all of that stuff is in bucket B and in bucket B I say, "Hmm, yeah, Ottawa has an advantage there. They have an advantage there. They have an advantage there. And really in bucket A, it's just Boston just, has a better forward group and a and a more productive system that lends itself well to winning um, in the playoffs. So that that's kind of what they're trying to fade here. Right. I think that that first line 
um, especially if they do load it up with Marshawn, Bergeron, and Pasternak, or even if, you know, if they're just in the top six, that's really scary for those top three guys. Um, that's definitely better than Hoffman, Turris, and Stone, as, as good as they are. Um, I found it interesting, though. Did you say you think Otto has better special teams? Because like, when I was looking up, I thought Boston had the best penalty kill in the league, actually. So Boston's penalty kill has significantly improved as the season has progressed. Um, I, it's not that Ottawa has I, a better special teams or a better power player, better penalty kill. I think they're much more close or much more aligned than they are at five on five. Like I think there's right. a clear cut advantage to Boston at five on five elsewhere in other game States. Like I think Ottawa has shown enough to leave the question or door open. Like, Hey, maybe, maybe they have an advantage there. And then in the goaltending department, I absolutely think they have an advantage. So, um, the, to your other point, the, the Bergeron line, this is a really, really important thing. Like, I have not – I've seen one team slow down the Patrice Bergeron line all year long, and that was Washington. And I don't even know that Washington – that's what happens, I guess, when you play the best team in the league, right? Like that, that's kind yeah. of just what's going to happen. Um, but, like, I've seen that Bergeron, Bergeron line go head-to-head with some other really good lines, like the 3M line in Calgary, and just obliterate them. Like, it wasn't even competitive. So, Kyle Turris, as damn good as he is and whoever he's playing with, they're going to see a lot of Patrice Bergeron. And they're going to play some really freaking tough minutes. And they need to get out of there unscathed as much as possible. Yeah, so would you say pretty much that if everything goes according to plan, that Boston would win? Like, they would have the advantage unless Anderson stands on his head and and they do um, really well on special teams? Well, so I don't think the betting marketplace is is wrong here, right? Like, it's it's pretty rare that you see a lower-seeded road team as nearly a two to one favorite in the series, like Boston is here. And I made this point five years ago, but the sports books are getting a lot sharper and it has nothing to do with like, do you think Boston is good? It's not like binary. It's not like Boston will win the series or they will not win the series. But if you simulated this a hundred thousand times, Boston will win it probably a bit more than 50%. And I think five years ago, Boston would have been like a, I don't know, a dollar 20 underdog in this series for the, for the reasons of Ottawa just accumulated more points. But I think people recognize and again, I don't think this has anything to do with Ottawa. Like, I think it has everything to do with Boston. Like, Boston has these signs of a team that can legitimately win their conference. By the way, I, I would be remiss to I, – I forgot to mention one big, really big thing in Ottawa's favor here. Boston, as good as – as damn good as they were at 5-on-5 five five during the regular season, they are beat up on the blue line. Yeah, Tory Krug was, is Tory yeah. Krug especially. Like, I don't think people realize how good Tory Krug is. And – when you're losing two defensemen, two of your top four guys, and I believe they were one-two actually in uh, ice time per game at five-on-five, five. Um, that is such a big loss for for a team that doesn't have a ton of defensive depth. Right, and that I, I mean that was going to be one of my later points. Um, so like, how does that change the dynamics of the series? Because also like Brandon Carlo, I don't know. Um, as of now, he's questionable. I I heard that he might have a concussion. We'll see. Maybe he might play if he's 80 percent. Um, but even if he does play, like, does that have a big shift in uh, where the series is going? I, I, the, the, the larger point I think that you drive home is, especially in the playoffs, if you lose one guy who plays big minutes, it already has a trickle-down effect because you'll see these depth guys get more and more exposed, especially against really good teams with really good top sixes and really good first-pairing defenders where if you see a guy out of his element, he's much more susceptible or likely to be exposed. So when you take two guys out of the top four and really out of the top two, um, there is an awful lot of minutes to go around to guys who are not playing these minutes in the regular season. 
And while I don't think this is the NBA where a guy would just you, – you put him out there for five minutes and you're just shrieking in horror. Like there is truth to the theory that – there is truth to the argument that it will much more balance um, – the, the game the game state of five on five and and I think this is a big takeaway here because I'll, I'll, the largest argument in support of Boston in the series is they are simply a better even strength team and if you strip away two really productive blue liners from that equation does it tip the seesaw I would say yes I don't know I don't know if Ottawa becomes the better five on five team but it's certainly going to help when you take away two guys who are averaging eighteen minutes a game there yeah it's going to help when John Michael Isles is on the second pair yeah so. exactly it's exactly <laughs> it like you can't you, if you take away those two top two guys, now you need to go through defensemen three through eight and allocate minutes. And now the question I pose to you is, okay, is John Michael Lyles going to play 22 minutes a night? Are you going to spread these minutes out more and have AHL call-ups in the, on the third pairing? Like somewhere in some way, shape, or form, you're going to put guy a guy or guys out there who are going to be out of their comfort zone or out of their element against second, third, and fourth line Ottawa's, Ottawa groups that are very productive. Well, I, I think – Charlie McAvoy is going to have to be heavily relied upon. I mean, he's. It looks like he's already going to be playing with Zidane Chara on the first pairing. Um, do you think he's going <laughs> yeah, to be playing no like twenty five minutes? Kid. No pressure. Yeah, exactly. Do you think he's going to be playing that much though? I, the the alt, What is the alternative, right? Like, it, yeah. Even if even if he doesn't play a ton, like he's going to have to play 15, 16 minutes a night. Yeah. Like that, that's a minimum. That's a starting point. If both of those guys are out and. Well, I think Charlie McAvoy is a fine player, a fine young player. Like, it's a legitimate question to ask: Is a kid going to be ready and situated to just jump right off into playoff hockey against a good hockey team? This is the whole point and the whole reason why playoff hockey is so freaking good, is because you know, with the exception of maybe one or two teams per year, like there is really high level of talent and really high level performance, and these guys at the lower end of the spectrum, and this is true for every team in the league. Uh, the guys who are, you know, your 10th, 11th, 12th forwards, your 5th, 6th defenders, they get exposed quite frequently. And a lot of the times, these series are decided by depth guys, believe it or not. The reason is pretty simple. Like, your your toughs, your first line against their first line, you're pretty you're, it's going to be pretty close in talent. And sometimes a lot of these games are won at the margins. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Um, definitely be interesting to see what McAvoy can bring. So now... The- Something that everyone always loves to talk about come playoff time are, are X factors in the series. Um, do you think there's one or two guys on Ottawa or Boston that, that could really shift things? We might have talked about a few already. It's a really good question. Um, X factor on Boston is absolutely too grasp. And, and, and it's, it seems kind of lame, but it's so true. Like, again, if Tuka Rask had been a 920 goaltender or a 915 goaltender this year, Instead of whatever he was, just league average. I think he was nine fifteen. Nine fifteen. I think he was nine fifteen the last two years, actually. Nine fifteen in all game states, but at even strength, I want to say he was like right. twenty-one to thirtieth in the league among starters, um, and and way lower than the median save percentage for starters. If if he was what he had been in the five, six, seven years prior, like Boston is fighting Montreal for the division. His goal, his performance this year was rancid, especially at even strength, and so was the, the back of goaltending was even worse. Um, Rask played better under the new head coach. Um, whether that's coached or whether that's just randomness, I don't know. Um, but at the end of the day, like this is this is the guy who's going to decide the series for Boston because if you're a Bruins fan and you think you have a better team, a better skating team, that's all fine and well, but. 
this is the Nashville Predators story, right? You can have this great skating team, but if one of every 10 shots is going into the back of your net and one of every, I don't know, you know, 11 or 12 shots is finding the back of the net um, when you're shooting, it, it becomes very tough. It becomes a game of volume, and you constantly have to try and offset Pekka Rinek. And the same situation is developing with, with Tuka Rask. And, and to, be quite, to be quite frank, they don't have a lot of luck here or a lot of uh, room for error is a better phrase against Ottawa because Ottawa's goaltending has been so great this year. Um, so I would absolutely say it's Tuka Rask for the Bruins. And then on the Ottawa side, I, at, least, at least for your higher-end players, like I, there's two guys that come to mind. The, the first is, is Cody Ceci. And I, I don't think Cody Ceci is very good. And the data certainly screams that he's actually pretty bad over the last <laughs> two or three years that he's played. But this is like a great series, a, a perfect opportunity for a guy to exemplify himself and show himself when you know your top pairing is really going to be in tough. Like, regardless of whether or not Ottawa can deploy Carlson perfectly or not, he is going to play a ton of minutes against the best line in the NHL. And at some point, another defenseman on the team needs to pull his weight. And it, this is the perfect opportunity for a guy like Cody Cece, who we know is going to play a ton of minutes. Like, Dibouche has not has not shied away from that. Cece plays a ton of minutes. If 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 there was any time to add some offense to his game and and provide some breakout ability and, and alleviate pressure from from his five man unit, this is really the opportunity for him. And then on the other side, it, it's your goal scorers. It's Hoffman. It's Stone. It's 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 the two or three guys that you know are going to score three or four or five goals in the series. Can they get to Tukaras consistently? And they are going to, again. They are going to be the guys that see a ton of minutes. They're going to play some really tough minutes probably against the Berger on the line. Um, how many goals can they score? Can they make things happen on the power play? These these are the two or three guys I would I would argue that that are going to be the difference makers for Ottawa. Now I'm curious, what do you think about Derek Broussard though? Because he he's an interesting guy. I mean, he I believe he only had 39 points this year, but at the same time he had really good possession numbers um, even without Stone. So I mean, like, is he going to make a real difference? If I mean, he might be only getting. Um, quote unquote third line minutes. However, uh, Guy Boucher makes his lines, but like, do you think he could make a real difference if, if he goes to, you know, how we used to be uh, on the Rangers? I, I, I sure do. Um, you know what the funny thing is about Derek Broussard, though, and I just realized it um, as you were, as we were talking just now. Broussard was acquired predominantly because he was a guy who could quote-unquote score. Yes. Um, I think he had much higher scoring rates than Mika Zibanejad. And Mika, the, the argument to not trade Mika Zibanejad was, hey, look, his counting numbers just haven't materialized like the way his even strength, you know, possession numbers or shot rates or scoring chance rates have. Like Zibanejad's a really good player. He just doesn't have the shooting touch yet or whatever. And I, I think Ottawa's point in that whole trade was we need a guy who can just put the puck in the net. Okay, so they get Broussard. Broussard stops scoring, but he has great underlying numbers. And then Ottawa, uh, two days ago, um, I think it was Pierre Dorian, came out and said, hey, look, by our in-house guy, the numbers say Derek Broussard's had a great year, which is, yeah. I, like, it's kind of funny, right? Because I, I don't think that they were saying that when Mikasabanajad was around the last couple of years. But, that, <laughs> but that's okay. Like, this is, Broussard is a great player. Zibanejad's a great player. Um, but, like, the, to your question, yeah, absolutely. Like, th this is... When, when a guy is given opportunity and when a guy is shown that he can score consistently at the NHL level, this is – and I one step further, like Broussard 
you said whether what depending on what line he's going to play. Well, the one line I'm pretty sure he's not going to play on is the top line, which may, makes it a perfect opportunity for him. Because say what you will about Boston's death, but again, like not to harp on it, but they don't have Patrice Bergeron on any of those lines. So if you're going to be up against the Bacchus group or whoever, like they're just they're an inferior line, and these are where Ottawa needs to start making up the goals in this series. Now, the the funny thing I find uh, about the Broussard trade is that they pretty much went 0 for 2 uh, for the, like they wanted obviously Broussard to be a, a goal scorer and they also acquired him so Bobby Ryan could get more goals because he was a left-hand shot, right? Um, and Bobby Ryan obviously hasn't, um, he, I mean, he was terrible this year. Um, I think, I don't know, just in my gut, I feel like Bobby Ryan's going to have a couple goals just because, not, not like he's amazing or anything, but I don't know. I feel like just at some point he's he's got to do something. Bobby Ryan has the Thomas Vanek label of this year. Like one of my favorite questions I ask myself heading into the playoffs is which pretty productive scorer who has stopped scoring for spurts is going to be the very surprising playoff healthy scratch. And I think Bobby Ryan is at the top of the like. Could you see yourself sitting in your room or in your house, game three or game four, and reading through the lineups, and it's 2-1 Boston in the series? Maybe Ottawa lost the last game. Like, Would you be stunned if you read the lineups and Guy Boucher said, yeah, Bobby Ryan's a healthy scratch tonight? Like, That, that wouldn't floor me, right? And that's for a guy who's making, what, seven, seven $7.5 million a year. That that should floor us, but he he is I, – I kind of sense that uh, – I don't even I don't even know if that is sense, though. I think it's, I, it's almost been explicitly stated that – he has lost, I think, some of the um, flavor that he came to the organization with. I just don't think they have the same confidence they have in him. They had in him a couple of years ago, and like it wouldn't surprise me if he had a couple of goals, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was the 13th forward on one night. You know, that, it's funny you say that because uh, for Silver Seven, we had to do predictions for the series, and one of the questions was, "Do you think Chris Neal is going to get into the lineup?" And I said, "I, I predicted that." Otto's going to be down 2-1 in the series, and game four, he's going to come in. So you know what? Wouldn't be surprised at all if he goes in for Bobby Ryan. <laughs> Especially the way coaches think, right? Like, and, I'm not, and this is not an indictment on head coach, hockey coaches, or not an indictment of Bobby Ryan, but like when a guy who's scoring just stops scoring for a little bit, hockey coaches are much more willing and likely to scratch that guy than the gritty physical fourth line type yeah. who can throw checks. And even though he hasn't scored in like 175 games, like, I mean, this is this is the whole Curtis Lazar argument, right? Like that guy stayed in the lineup forever because they liked the way he played, but he, the guy the guy couldn't score, <laughs> and it took them almost you know more almost two seasons, full seasons for them to realize that yeah, he's not very good, and uh, it's it's just a different uh, a different threshold, and there's a high threshold for Bobby Ryan. So if, if they come out of the gate struggling games one and two, and he hasn't scored, like I would not be surprised at all if he was out of the lineup. Yeah, well, well, I mean, speaking of that. I find it interesting that for the first time that I can ever remember, Ottawa has pretty much like too many forwards available. They're not all great options, but they, they have just tons of bodies up front. Um, and they, ha they have released the probable lines for tomorrow. Uh, recording this. We're recording this on Tuesday night, and they were releasing this morning. Um, do you think they stick with these lines, or do you think these are constantly changing? Like, is Ryan DeZingle ever going to get in? Like, I feel like that's such a weird... Um, playoff playoff hockey lines change by the hour. Like, yeah. This is a great – and I even tweeted this today. I even said, man, I really like these lines. And I think I said this is going to be a really fun matchup um, because I, I think it's going to be six or seven games either way. Um, but, like, I didn't I didn't really like the Alex Burroughs acquisition. Like, he's been fine since he's been with Ottawa. He's been productive. Um, 
I don't know that they're going to ever win that trade. But like the to your point, like they have a lot of forwards. Like Burroughs is can, can play. And by the way, so can Victor Stolberg. Like I thought the Victor Stolberg trade was incredible. Like yeah. they basically they basically paid like one tenth the price <laughs> of, that they paid for Burroughs yeah. for a guy who is not one tenth as productive as Burroughs, right? Like Stolberg is like, I don't know. 80 cents to the dollar of bros and and it, it's added a real dimension to this lineup where you can look and it's like hey i'm having a hard time figuring out who not to play and it's also kind of stripped away the ability for a coach to play chris neal and you know all due respect chris neal he just, he just can't play anymore and the, it becomes an easier decision for a coach to make when you have this like surplus or glut of of you know forward talent where you could say yeah this bruising guy who can't really skate anymore like i'll sit him and He'll be great in the locker room, and maybe I play him game three because we lost five nothing in game two, and he'll get eight minutes, and I don't know. But at least for like a starting point, when coaches probably before game one is the only time coaches are reasonably sane. You can see where Guy Boucher stands on it. Yeah, well, I I find it incredible that he might actually scratch Chris Kelly, considering he didn't the entire season. He played all eighty two games. Um, um, talking about another center though, do you think? Colin White's ever going to be playing this series? I mean, he only played two games in the in the regular season, and I don't, it doesn't seem like Guy Boucher is really going to trust him that much. Well, I again, this is the this is I guess the double edged sword of when you've got a lot of forwards and, and a lot of guys who have produced at the NHL level, kind of becomes tough to get a guy into the lineup who hasn't because you're you're more inclined to play a guy like a, a Stahlberg or whoever um, because they've just been around a lot longer and they are productive still. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, just the way that. I mean, so many guys are banged up heading into the heading into the playoffs already. You know, injuries are going to happen. I I would say it's more likely than not that Colin White gets to see some ice time. Like we already know, there are a couple guys already that are playing through pain. Like Mark Mathot, damn near lost a finger, and they're saying <laughs> he's playing game one. Like as much as people want Eric Carlson to be 100, percent he's not 100, percent and he's gonna play. But you got these guys who are like you know, one step away from an iron lung and they're still playing, but it just takes like one more check, one more hit and they're going to be out of the lineup. So I like, I, I do think he'll have an opportunity. Yeah, pretty much. I, I think that's fair. I, I definitely hope he'll get in, but it will probably not because of anything he's doing well in practice or whatever. It's probably just because, because of it, because of an injury. Um, okay. So we've hit the end of the preview, but I can't let you go without giving me a series prediction as well as a cup prediction. Ooh, okay. Um, series prediction: I'm going to take Boston in seven. Um, I, I, I think, I think people are losing when people are picking Boston in the series. I think Ottawa fans are sitting back and saying we're not getting any respect, and that might be true in some instances. But like, I think Ottawa is a better team. Like, I, I think Ottawa is a better team than they've shown this year. And I think they're playing their best hockey right now. And I think it's going to lend itself to an extremely close series. And further to that point, like I think Boston's injury issues are very concerning. But the two big things that sway me in Boston's favor, again, best line in hockey. And I'm not convinced that Tuka Rask is washed up yet. And if Tuka Rask can just be somewhat in the vicinity of Ottawa's goaltending, it's going to be tough for Ottawa to win this series. That said, I think it's going to be extremely close. Like, if it's Ottawa 7, I will not be surprised in any way, shape, or form. Um, I, I just think the Bruins are a slightly better team in, in the one-game state that really matters. Um, cup prediction, I can't I can't believe I'm doing this, but I am taking Washington. Um, 
And I really, I really want to get funny and sexy with it and take them over Calgary, but I'm not going to. I'm going to take them over Chicago. Um, there, it seems like Nashville is the flavor, flavorful pick on the, on the amongst the Twitter crowd in round one. And as much as I love the Predator skaters, I have zero confidence in them to stop a shot when it matters. And I think Chicago gets through that series. And if Chicago gets through them, I do not see them losing to either of St. Louis or Minnesota. Which is funny because one year ago I just wrote wrote up a storm about how the Blackhawks had no chance beating the Blues in, in round one. And <laughs> it's funny how time flies in one year. So I'll take the Capitals over the Blackhawks, which feels very chalky. But if I get an alternate prediction, I'll take the, the Capitals over uh, over the Flames. You know, I, I have a pretty close prediction, actually. I, I did say Bruins in seven as well. Um, I, I don't really see a scenario where this is a four or five game series. No, I don't either. Um, yeah, I mean, for the, for the same reasons you mentioned, I think they'll win just just because they have that higher ceiling with, with their forwards. Um, I, I picked the Capitals uh, to win the Cup as well. And like you mentioned, I was one of those people who, uh, who predicted the Predators to go all the way um, and face off the Capitals in the finals. But... I mean, I don't know about you. Like, does this first round feel like totally up in the air, like compared to other years? Yeah, it, it absolutely does. Look at the, again. Look at the betting marketplace. There's one series right now that the betting marketplace feels like is is totally lopsided, and that's Washington Toronto. And truthfully, I think they're overstating. I, I know I'm supposed to be anti-Leafs, but they basically have the Leafs at like a 20% implied probability to win that series. <laughs> they're, they're, I mean, there's just no way like a team could ever be 20% in, in the modern NHL of winning a series. It always has to be higher than that. Um, but like every other series is pretty close. Um, the one series I actually feel really strongly about, and I actually that's a, that's the best question to end on. What series do you feel the most strongly about? Because I think I think I've, if I had to bet today on a team advancing – Considering the odds, I would bet on Montreal. I think Montreal is going to run through New York. Really? I, yeah. I I predicted Montreal to win. I the only ones I feel really confident are uh, Washington and Minnesota. I I can't get a read on it. I was talking about Minnesota yesterday with with one of my friends. I, I just cannot get a read on that series whatsoever. It, I think it's Minnesota... more of an anti St. Louis thing, though. Honestly. But so so you, how can you bet against St. Louis, who's had tremendous goaltending issues? And then turn around and tell me that Nashville is your Stanley Cup pick. A team who has had the same exact – you, know, you know, I will say this. Maybe they're switching this. to Nashville UC has had, Nashville has had a little bit better goaltending this year, so I will give them credit. Yeah. But it seems counterintuitive. <laughs> I mean, that that just speaks to how, how weird this first round is. Like, there's really no <laughs> – Washington feels like the only, like, really strong team. Like, I, I like, like truly, like, like a just amazing team. I, and you know what, though? That, like, people keep saying, yeah, Washington's a great team. Washington's a great team. I think that's underselling it. Like, again, I would argue that this is the best Capitals team since 2007. Like, I, I, I think they're number one. And you can make the argument for the 2009-10 team, uh, but I think this is the best team. Again, 62% of the five-on-five five goals. That's pretty unheard of. And considering the fact that um, their, their shot shares and their scoring chances are through the roof, too, like – and they probably have the second best goalie in the league now. Um, we've hope hope be maybe jumping Lundqvist. Like I, I just don't know how they're going to get beat. Okay, so pretty much what you're telling me is Leafs in seven and Leafs in five. Leafs, Leafs in five. five. All right, goes off. I'm gonna I'm gonna save this and and replay this on Twitter when uh when they get eliminated. Oh please don't because I've already <laughs> I I made one one comment on Twitter 
<laughs> Sunday night, and I had 300 Leafs fans in my mentions. <laughs> Almost, they're like a rabid. Please don't. Oh, oh, I know that. Just you don't even have to tag them; they'll show up. They do. They got radar. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, we can wrap things up there. Is there uh, anything interesting you can tell the listeners that uh, you'll be doing during the playoffs? Uh, I don't really do anything interesting, um, but I no? will be writing. Uh, I will, I'm hopefully dropping my um, playoff predictions. I'll probably do all eight series um, tomorrow at TSN. So that should be, you know, look for that around uh, noon or so. Okay. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks again for coming on the show, Travis. All right. Thanks. Take care, man. Okay. As I finish things up here, a reminder that you can find the Cost Per Pointcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and you can read tons of Sens playoff content at Silver7Sens. If you'd like to rate and review the show on iTunes, that'd be great, as it helps to bring in new listeners. Playoff time should be great. Just don't make me say hashtag all in. Adios. Adios.